Well, we've got a nice crowd tonight, and glad that you're here, and thank you for being here. Some of you have driven quite a few miles to be here. Appreciate that very much, and hope that you've had a good day. We sure have uh, got a chance to uh, go out and look at the new church building today. Man, it's pretty, I tell you. Got the new lights in, and maybe uh, Craig told you about that. I don't know, but it sure is going to be nice. I know you'll enjoy it, and you'll benefit from it greatly. I noticed y'all are having some Beaumont weather today. Y'all, <laughs> this is normal for me, you know. But uh, I guess this rain's a welcome event out here. We uh, we were in a drought too, but we got over it. I think we some parts of our area's got about 17 inches since the first of the year. That's way too much, <laughs> but we'll make it. We're going to talk about something tonight. The fact that Christians are really different. Now that's a statement, but it's also the title of the lesson. Christians are really different. Now when you measure everybody in the world and how people act and how they approach things, how they react to things and how they live life, I think you'll agree that Christians are really different. There's a lot of things that Christians do that no one else can say. Just the mere fact, you know, think about this part. Christians are people that were once lost with no hope, but have now been found. They have found a way. Once drifting, but now on track. Now having purpose in life and things that are making sense. Citizens of heaven. We, a lot of times, will talk about, um, or sing songs, and talk about the fact that we're just pilgrims here in a foreign land. Now pilgrims don't belong where they're at. They're new to that or different to that area. And we are citizens in a place that we're not yet there. We had not been there yet. Yet that's where our citizenship is. That's where our heart is and that's where we should have our thoughts. So exactly how are we different in the world? How are we different from the people that you see every day on your job? Or, and I know there's a lot of good people on your job. But the people in your neighborhoods, the people that you see, the people you see on television, the people that are in newscast, and all such things that you have awareness of. How we treat people. Christians treat people differently. How we react to conflict. How we settle differences. How we treat people. How we treat each other. How we treat our family. Much so, and many times, is different. It's different than what the world does. Because what does the world do? We recently had a case down in our part of the country where a lady was on a state highway. Two lanes on, four, on, on both sides, divided. And it's a lot of traffic on this highway. And in the morning time, she was following a KCS, uh, Kansas City Southern, um, truck that works on rails and I guess and I don't know what all they do but it was kind of a big truck had some men driving and she was behind that truck and a rock came off of that truck or, or flipped off the tire or whatever and broke her windshield so what does she do she pulls around him on the right side and gets in front of him he's in the left lane on his four lane and shuts her car down to a stop and he had to stop a car 
ran into the back of it. It was a, a man and his wife and two children. The man died. All because of what we call road rage. How different that is to what we view in the Bible. How different that is to how we react with conflict. But we see that. We address trouble differently. Christians do. And even how we should treat our enemies. We love our enemies. Now often it's hard to do that. We, and maybe I should say we should love our enemies. Are we doing that? Christians with Christian ethics and principles love enemies. And we pray for them that despitefully use us. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Now you think that that is easy to do? Have you ever done that? You know it's not. I know you probably have done it. That's not a glad feeling in your body a lot of times. You know, you're not, you're not overwhelmed with happiness when somebody's persecuting you, is hating you, despitefully using you, but Jesus says pray for them. Love your enemies. That's a Christian value. That's a Christian ethic. That's what Christians do, and that's what makes Christians so much different than the world. So what, mo- what motivates us to do that? What motivates us to do those things so much differently than the world does? It's our love for Christ. That's the motivating factor to make you love your enemies, to pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. And people say, well, you know, we're not persecuted the way that the early Christians were. No, you're right about that. You know, they were beaten and dragged out and dragged out of their houses and put to death publicly and all kinds of things. But I know you do suffer persecution. If you hold to the teachings of Jesus Christ and, and love His commandments and do His will, you're going to be persecuted at some level in your life. Now, it's not going to be beaten and whipped and put to death for your faith, but you will have opportunity to be persecuted you will be persecuted if you follow Christ. And when you do, Jesus says pray for them. And our motivator in this area is our love for Christ. In John 14 and 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, we do love Him. And because we love Him, we keep His commandments. And what does the commandment say? Pray for them that despitefully use you. Love your enemies. Boy, that's different. You know, a lot of people are taught, if you've got a fight on your hands, you hit them first and hit them quick. That's how you settle that. That's what the world would tell us. You know, Paul knew that he had a crown of righteousness. And when he began to serve the Lord, he knew he was going to be persecuted, I'm sure, because he certainly was. And he had a lot of things going on in his life that were not pleasant. He had to put up with a lot of things. And he lists those things in the Scripture. We're not going to go through all of them. But he knew about serving Jesus Christ and he knew also that it was going to be hard. But he also knew this, that if he endured that to the end, that he would have a reward. Here's what he said in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. I have fought a good fight. That's how he described it. He described his striving for Christ and doing God's will as a fight. 
I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. What does he say in verse 8? Henceforth. What does that mean? That means because all of this, because I have fought a good fight and I finished my course and I kept my faith, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all men also that love is appearing. Did that say some men? It said all men. You may be fighting a fight very often in your life. And if you are, keep the faith. Be the kind of person that fights the fight and finishes the course because henceforth there will be laid up for you a crown of righteousness. You know, because we have all of these things and because we have those assurances in life from the Scriptures, we have purpose. You know, a lot of people don't have purpose in life. I imagine you have met people that just say, I I just don't know why I should live on. I don't have any purpose. And it's sad. I had a, a co-worker of mine at one point in time that was had become to the point of desperation and I was really pretty concerned about his will to exist. He didn't have any hope. He, he didn't have anything to live for. Christians have much to live for. We have many things to live for. And we're different. But we've got a lot of reason for living. We have found a new reason to live. A new reason to go on. No longer serving those worldly concerns. Oh, we've got worldly concerns, all right. But I'm talking about who do we serve? Who is your master? And we've got to worry about getting up and going to work in the morning. We've got to worry about paying our, our light bill. We've got to worry about putting groceries on the table and raising all, all these kids, getting them clothed, and taught an education and all of that. You know, a lot of people in this room are at many different levels. Some people are wondering if they, who they're going to marry. Some people are wondering what my kids are going to turn out to be. Some people are wondering what the grandkids or maybe great-grandkids are going to turn out to be. We all have concerns in life, but we no longer serve those worldly concerns. We address them from time to time, but the Lord is our master. Christians have found a new reason for living. Now, serving spiritual concerns. When we obeyed the gospel, that changed us. We worship in spirit and in truth. And now our concerns are spiritual. And no longer fearful of the certain judgment. Judgment will come for every man. Now if you've already obeyed the gospel tonight, that was probably one of the reasons that you did is because you learned the scriptures that would tell you about what's going to happen. What would happen in eternity. In Hebrews 9 and 27 the Bible says here, and as, it, and as it is appointed unto man, men once to die, but after this the judgment. It talks about an appointment. And we make all kinds of appointments. Um, doctor appointments, this and that. You have appointments to, to speak to somebody, whatever. And you can break those. You don't have to go to them. You might decide, I'm just not going to do that. I'm supposed to go see the, the, the guy at the university about my grades, but I'm not going to do it. And you don't have to. And there may be some consequence to that, but this one, everybody will do. 
And it doesn't matter if you believe, if you don't believe, if you doubt. It doesn't matter if you've never proclaimed Jesus Christ or if you have. It doesn't matter if you live in America or if you live in China. It's appointed unto men once to die. Every man, men, mankind, every person will die and they will face a judgment. That changes a person, doesn't it, when they realize that? I believe it does. It should. And now we're what the Bible calls a peculiar, a peculiar people. can't even say that. Peculiar. Different. In Titus 2 and 14, the Bible says, "...who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people." A different people. Not weird. Different. Different from the world. We are different people. Zealous of good works. And we have the zeal of, of Christ. And as we follow after Christ, we are going to be different. We're going to do things. We're going to approach things different. And we are going to be a peculiar people. Zealous of good works. So why do Christians have such a different value system? Well, because our rewards are eternal. Our rewards are promised to us. We have the promise of God and that's not a slack promise. God's plan is for every person. And God is willing that every person should be saved. This is one of my very favorite scriptures right here. 2 Peter 3 and 9. And I think about this in terms of, of have you ever bought a used car? Man, this is the best car in, in the world. You know, the guy says, I told, oh, yeah, that thing, oh, that's a cream puff, yeah. Look at those tires, man. I tell you, oh, yeah, and that radio. And, and, you know, you drive the car off, and a couple of weeks later, you notice there's a few things wrong with it, you know. And, and boy, you know, that guy, surely he knew about that. Surely they knew about that little problem that it had. The Scripture here says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness. Because you know we do count slackness. You get to a point sometimes when, <laughs> unfortunately, when somebody tells you something on the telephone or down at the, the store that's your appliances or you're buying appliances from or whatever about delivery dates or whatever, you just kind of go, mm, yeah, maybe. And the reason is is because we count slackness. I mean, we don't we have got a, a system here where Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they fulfill their promises. And sometimes I'm kind of shocked when they do. I think, wow, <laughs> that guy said he's going to do this on Tuesday and he did it on Tuesday. How about that? The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. Long-suffering. He's waiting for us, isn't He? Not willing that any should perish, perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants you to repent. He wants you to be His child. He wants you to know that. He wants you to live your life knowing that. And He wants you to have that peace that's in, it, that's in your heart when you do have that. That makes us different people, doesn't it? That makes us different from the world. Eternal rewards. We're living with something in the future. 
and our promise. And we know that we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Redeemed. What does that mean? We've been purchased by Jesus Christ. We've been redeemed. And we're assured that the grace of God is with us. Grace. In Ephesians 4 and 7, the Bible says here, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Let's talk about grace for just a minute. What is grace? Well, grace is something that you get when you really didn't deserve it. Did you think that mankind deserved the grace of Jesus Christ? That we had been good enough as a society of people? That God would send His only begotten Son to come down here and walk in this, on this earth and to be treated like that? To be nailed to the cross in remission, for the remission of our sins? Do you think that we deserved that? We didn't. But God did that. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Christ was a gift. The gift of mankind. Saved our souls. Gave us a way of life. A way to eternal life. Now, just are we going to get that just because He came? Well, no, the Scripture doesn't tell us that. But we can get that. And we can have and find that peace in this disturbing world. In Philippians 4 and 7, it talks about the peace of God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That appears in a whole lot of my lessons. And the reason it, it does is because I think that's a motivator. I think people want peace in their life down deep. A lot of them don't know how to get it. That's where we come in a lot of times when we are the unlikely messenger that we talked about yesterday. And we carry that message to them. But the resurrection of Christ gives the Christian a living hope. And when life besets us, God's plan is still there. Romans 8 and 31. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Think about that. I want you to think along those lines for just for a minute. You know, a lot of times we get beset by a lot of things. We might get treated badly. We might get treated unfairly. We may have sickness. We may have all kinds of things that are plaguing us in our life. But you know, at the end of the day, this is what we can hang our hat on right here. This is something that nobody else can give us. That assurance and that hope that if God be for us, nobody's going to be against us. And in the final day, when all things are done, when we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, then we will have that reward. We will have that assurance. Now, Christians, rest assured that there is a heavenly home. And Christians will dwell with Christ. This next scripture that I want to look at is, is a lot of times what we hear at funerals. We hear this at funerals, and there's a reason why we hear it at funerals. We, re we hear this at funerals because it reassures and comforts the families of the deceased loved one. I love this scripture, but I think it gives us a lot of hope right now. It's not just at the, 
funeral home that we should hear this and think about this one. This is what we need to think about all the time. This is what Jesus said. Those guys there, the apostles, they were, they were really distraught. They had been following Jesus and studying with Him and they loved Him and they knew He was fixing to leave. And He assures them with this. He says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now what's Jesus saying? In my Father's house are many mansions. I, I'm going on, guys. And I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And you know what? When He was, he was talking to those apostles, but He talks to us and we know that. Jesus went to prepare a place for you and for me. And we have assurance with that. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. That should be comfort to us while we're still alive and well. Because there's going to be a day when you're not. There's going to be a day when somebody's probably reading that one about you. Remember the appointment? It's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. You'll be there. I will be too. Because it's all for every one of them. In my Father's house are many mansions. I love that. Saw a saying one time that I forget exactly how it goes. I'll try to get it as close as I can. But as, you know, you see these things written on a plaque on, hanging on the wall somewhere. So Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. I sure hope I'm in your neighborhood. What does that tell you? I mean, that, that's a little, you know, you chuckle at that a little bit and you think, yeah, that's true. But you know, you think about something like that and you think about the fact that we are going to dwell in heaven. Those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ will dwell in heaven. And Christians certainly have a good reason to be happy. Now, Christians are not going to be void of trouble, but our trouble is temporary. I want to think about Paul and Silas here for just a minute. Paul and Silas now, they'd been going around there and doing the will of God. Well, they got in a bind over it. And they captured them and threw them in prison. And the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates ran off their clothes. They tore off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer. That meant they, inst they instructed the jailer. They told him to keep them safely. So they're, they're aggravated at them because they're doing God's will. They take Paul and Silas and they tear their clothes off and they beat them. And then they take them to the jail and they say, lock them up, keep them safe right here. That's what you do. And that's what happened. And the jailer here in verse 24, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. This is what they did. 
They had their clothes torn off of them. They were beaten. Thrown in prison. And what do they do? They start singing. Now I'm going to tell you something. I would certainly hope that I would do that, but I'm going to tell you, if they come and grab me and throw me in the county jail here in Amarillo and beat me, I don't know that I would be in the mood to sing songs of praise. I should be. Because they were beaten for the cause of Christ. They suffered persecution because they were doing the will of God. But it was temporary, wasn't it? We read some horrible things that happened both in the Scripture and then we sometimes read in history about how Christians have been treated. And sometimes maybe horrible things happened not, not too long ago to people for the cause of Christ. But you know those are temporary things. Because in Revelation 21 and 4, the Bible says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. These things that we talk about, these troubles in life that we have, this, this sickness, these financial difficulties, all of these relationship difficulties and family problems and all of the times that we have been let down by other people are temporary. Because God's people will have their tears wiped away. And finally, Christians know that all of this somehow, somehow fits together. Here Paul tells the church at Rome in Romans 8 and 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Notice it, that Paul didn't dice words here. He didn't, he didn't say that we know that most things... He didn't say that. He didn't say that at all. He didn't say, you know, most things, guys, uh, if you're following the Lord, are going to fall into place for you. He said all things. Are we going to understand all of those things? No, we're not going to understand them. Are we going to understand why things happen to us? No. You hear people all the time say, I just don't understand why this happened to me and why my grandpa got sick and had to suffer all of that. We hear people say that all the time. All of that pain and suffering and sickness and all of that, that's not God's plan. That's the devil's plan. But we do know one thing, that all things work together for the good. Are you different? That's the question tonight. Are you different? And how you approach life and how you settle your difficulties, how you treat people, how you love people, are you really different? Can you safely say that you have peace in your heart? Do you? Or do you look and sound like the world? I mean, I think that's a fair question. What do we look like? Do we just kind of blend in? Do we just kind of fit into the world and we don't look a bit different than anyone else? Are we that peculiar people? That's a good question, I think. Are we? Here's what Paul said in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren. Who's he talking to? He's talking to church people. 
not talking to the world right now. He's talking to the brethren. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Paul says this is your reasonable service. It's not something extraordinary. This is not something that, that you're going to get an award for here on this earth. This is what you do because it's your reasonable service. He goes on in verse 2 and talks about the conformity of the world and, and how we see the world and what we do in the world. Do we join in or do we stand apart? He says, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed, that means changed, by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now we do that. We can renew our mind. And we can pr pr prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How's that? By being transformed. Not conformed to the world, but transformed from the world. That's how we do that. The question again, are you different? We don't have to be different. Talk about conversation in Second Peter 3. Verses 10 and 11. This is another one of my favorite readings here. Got a bunch of them, I guess. We're going to talk about holy conversation right at the bottom of that, and that means lifestyle. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Have you ever had anything stolen from you? Somebody stole my extension ladder off the back of my building. Aggravated me pretty bad happens, you know. But you know what? I went out there one day and I thought, where is that extension ladder? You know, and I looked and there's the nails up there, you know, on the back of my shed where I hang it. Some guys have been doing some work in my neighbor's house back there. I think that might be what happened to it. But you know, I was shocked about that because I wasn't expecting that. It wasn't like I thought, you know, tomorrow I'm going to go out there and I'm going to realize that my ladder's been stolen. It was a surprise to me. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. It will come when we're not expecting it. It will come and it will shock people. Into which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Again, conversation in this context means lifestyle. So, the question is, is what manner of persons ought ye to be in all of your, conversa your conversation, your lifestyle, the way you live, what you accept, what you will let go on in your life, or in your house. That's lifestyle. Are you different? Are you a peculiar people? Are you standing on the promises? We sing a song about that. Have you started your walk? Have you started your walk to be that peculiar person? The Bible says that we have to hear. Romans 10, 14, it says, 
How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on Him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? We've got to hear this Word. We're not, you know, as I said yesterday, I believe that if God had wanted this to happen this way, He could have just said, well, you know, when a baby's born, I'm just going to put all that knowledge in their head and it'll be turned on then or later or whatever. But that wasn't it. We are free moral agents. God allows us to hear it and believe it or hear it and reject it. But we have to hear it. How about believe? Hebrews 11 and 6, the Bible says here, but without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. A rewarder of someone who in their life, in their lifestyle, diligently seeks God. The next is repent. In Luke 13 and 3, I tell you nay, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. There must be a change in our life. We don't walk the path that we used to walk. We don't handle things the way we used to handle. We handle things the way God wants us to. In a godly manner, in a godly way. And then confess. Does this mean what? It means acknowledge. In Romans 10 and 10 it says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Do you remember the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts? The the, uh, evangelist Philip goes to him and he teaches him, and you've read the story maybe. And they're riding along in a chariot. And the eunuch says, Here's water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? So he's been sufficiently taught and all of this, he's ready to go, right? Philip says, If you believe, you can. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That was his confession. That was his agreement that Jesus was the Christ. We must do that. The Scripture here says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's one of the elements. And then finally, baptism. There's a bunch of them you can use now, you know, if you want to look at those Scriptures. I particularly like Acts 2 and 38. Pretty clear to me. Those people there on the day of Pentecost realized that they needed to do something. They needed to do something. And they asked the question, what must we do? And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Or for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So Peter told them, You need to be baptized. You know, today, you can do that. If you haven't, you can do that. You can go home with a peace tonight that you've never had before. A peace in your life that passes all the understanding of anyone else. How in the world would the people that roam up and down these streets that do not know Jesus Christ realize peace? Scripture says, Damn. I don't think I have it. <laughs> I'll have to read it. The Scripture says in Philippians 4 and 7, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 
Think about that for just a minute. I don't have it on the screen here. But it talks about the peace of God. Number one, it passes all understanding. That means that people won't understand it. Christians will understand it, but the world won't. But what's it going to do? It's going to keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's going to sustain you. It's going to keep you going. It's going to be what you need. Maybe you've had that before. Maybe that slipped away from you. Maybe you allowed that to to slip away in your life. Today is a day of salvation. In 1 Peter 2 and 25, the Bible says, For ye were as sheep gone astray, but but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So the question is, as we close, are you different? You can be different. You can take that step tonight. Live a life in service of Jesus Christ. The lesson's yours. If we can help you in any way, we'd ask you to come forward, have a seat on the front here as we sing a song that's been selected.